0: You're listening to episode sixty-seven of the Comic Spouse. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: Once again, your boys are in back in comic book form this week in Dark Knight's Metal number five. The Green Lantern talks about kicking all five asses of Starro, and that's us, baby. We're the five asses the five five asses
0: of starro that is perfect
1: so uh time warner if you
2: want to send those royalties to the comics pals we're at the comics pals at gmail.com baby so when the upcoming green lantern movie comes out when you guys are ready to cast you know who to call
3: for starro's ass
2: (laughs) the five asses (laughs) the five asses of starro
3: i tell you what, I'd watch that movie. <laughs> it,
2: would
1: just be, it would just be a starfish's five asses bickering with each other.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's what our show is every
1: week, that's basically. That's our show. So. Yeah.
2: And now it's in video form.
0: So before we go any further, I want to address something, okay? I want to address last week's episode, for which Uh-oh. I was not present. Oh, I completely forgot about this. Yeah yeah and uh marco
2: i can't forget about it it's haunted my dreams
3: push that abomination out of my head sean i i'm sensitive
2: i'm not
0: and uh i gotta talk to you because there were some issues there were some issues uh whoa number one what number one number one the plugs man the plugs what happened I would be surprised if anyone was able to get any information out of what you said last week. <laughs> uh, I don't know if people know that they can find us on iTunes. I have no idea if they know that, that we're a five-star rated podcast. I don't know if they know that we're on social media at The Comics Pals. I don't know if they know that they can write to us at the Pals at gmail.com. And I don't even know if they know that we're on YouTube, where they could... Not They wouldn't know it if you said it, but they'll know it now. They could subscribe to our channel. They could like this video. And they could share it with their friends. But somehow, you could not distill that information into anything coherent. And for that, my friend.
4: No. The the listeners love it.
0: I'm voting you off the island. Oh sorry
4: i'm off the tribe
0: sorry <laughs> you're off the tribe the four asses of starro <laughs> <laughs> Sean,
4: sean's gonna put out my torch
0: i'm gonna put out your torch we've got new shirts uh being developed currently oh my god <laughs> and, then, and then he's
3: gonna come to your house and cut off your head <laughs> oh.
0: it's the only way to be sure
3: does that know what happens in survivor i haven't seen in a while
0: the
1: new shirts are weird because like there's just a silhouette of a head that used to be there
4: <laughs>
2: in remembrance,
4: cut. cut out of existence
2: or we just we just take the logo and we get like a version of marco's head that's sad and he's just, just like off to the side a little bit like
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's gonna be put on the new comics pals tidy whities on the side
0: <laughs> also i have to address the fact that i've n- literally never in my life have i been more confused listening to a piece of audio that I was when you guys were trying to decipher that damn tweet from John Maynard. Oh my god. That was ridiculous. Oh yeah, hang on. I was
3: hundred percent right. Again, that dude said SJW Hitler. He was I saying Hitler was
0: is an SW. Look
3: at the goddamn grammar.
0: I I'm here now. Okay. We're not doing this. I'm done. We're not doing this. That's in the past. However, that whole deal was a dumpster fire, and this episode is not going to resemble that at all because I'm taking control again, Marco. That was the most Marco,
2: painful. That was the most painful main topic of my if my entire podcast. I put my career. heart and
0: soul into that. Great. Well, uh, into the Swamp Thing game, Marco. But... Look at me now. Look at me. I'm the captain again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable,
1: Captain Sean Bartley. He loves pirates.
0: Back to
2: sail the seven seas. I'd follow that man to the gates of hell and back.
3: I'd go. I'd go to hell with him. I don't know if I'd come back.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I'd come back. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. Um, so I do want to make an announcement before we go forward. Uh, so Black Panther is a film that is on the horizon. Uh, we're just a couple of weeks out from that movie, and the Comics Pal's Book Club is making a return. We're going, to, we're going to be reading uh, some Black Panther goodness. We're going to be reading Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, Black Panther, the first two trades, so the world under our feet um, story arc. So if you want to jump on board with us, you can go check that out. And uh, when that drops, well, it should be out
4: in a week or so. Uh, the Yeah, this Friday. So this comes out Monday, so Friday.
0: Yep. So join in with us on Friday and check that out. Uh, we're very excited about that. And you can expect more book club episodes to be releasing monthly. And we'll be talking about that a little more next week. But this is the first in a series of episodes that we're going to be doing. And we'll always let you guys know what the next one is so that you can jump on board, pick up the books if you want to, read along with us, and then come and be involved in the discussion. So with, with that... I have got a question for you guys.
2: Oh, uh so does that mean it's time for the random question of the week.
0: Oh boy. These are getting weirder and weirder. I but mean, I guess for sixty-seven episodes you gotta reinvent yourself.
2: Yeah, dude. Also my throat hurts. Like I've been sick a lot. It's you know
0: I feel that. Uh I'm I'm lucky to have this. Still voice. waiting for the auto tune Oh please. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, once we once we get video 100% figured out, I think I'm going to come up with some kind of a graphical bumper so they don't have to watch me scream into the mic. <laughs> that
0: might be appropriate. Well, they uh, still have to watch you
3: talk, so. <laughs> savage.
0: All right, okay. So there's a ton of information that we're going to discuss a little bit later regarding uh, what Brian Michael Bendis is going to be doing over at DC. But One of the biggest pieces of information is that they're letting him open a pop-up imprint um, that's going to be sort of him curating, uh, what he wants, you know, the whole thing to look like, uh, similar to what they've got going on with young animal. Uh, so I wanted to ask you guys, what creator would you like to see have the opportunity to do their own pop-up imprint where they would host a series of books that would, you know, have a bunch of different creators involved?
4: Ooh, uh, uh, Cullen Bunn, uh, specifically horror anthology focus because a lot of his books uh, things like Regression uh, Harrow County he's had uh, The Sixth Gun which is kind of like western uh, like having him team up with a bunch of different artists and sort of push that kind of um, those kind of books I think it it would appeal to me specifically so that would be something that I would personally want to see
3: okay I'm such an idiot my gut reaction was Gerard
1: Way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> man, if only
0: hey, man, that could be good.
1: <laughs> he's up and comer, man. I'd love to see Dan Slott with his own imprint, just you know, writing his own Spider Man books in their own Spider Verse. <laughs> I
2: mean, you had me until you said that part.
3: Like, like you joke, <laughs> but like he's uh, at at the very least a talented enough writer that I think he would come up with something halfway decent.
2: And then
1: option two, Scott Lobdell.
0: You oh, son yeah. of a bitch. <laughs> See, you know, I asked you a legitimate question.
1: I live to antagonize, ain't I a little stinker? Yes. Uh, yeah.
0: Can you can you yep. give us a real, a legitimate uh, reaction, a legitimate answer?
1: Well, I have to think about it some more.
0: Well, then maybe you should take the time and do so.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, why would you even open your mouth? Shut then? your
3: fucking trap for a second.
2: God, <laughs> <Scotland> no. <Owl.
1: laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm gonna go uh, from burning his house down to burning your house down.
2: Well, Kale, do you have an actual answer? Because yours was a joke too. Uh, yeah, stupid I guess I, I guess I would say <laughs> okay. I would
3: say uh, a Tom King one would be really good, obviously, but specifically focusing on like, C or D list characters. Mm. Um. So like a Tom King, maybe Fire and Ice book. Fire and Ice? Or, yeah, Dog what Some is that J- jli shit right there uh Tom King, captain adam would be really good wildcat wildcat would be great yeah
2: <laughs> for me my mind went immediately to uh like i think i'd like to see you know an imprint from someone who does something a little bit outside of you know the big two stuff and i think it would be cool to see um brian leo mali get to do Uh, an imprint like this because, like, I'm trying to think less about somebody who, like, I want to see a big volume of work of, but more so someone who I think could, like, provide, um, leadership to, like, shepherd a similar, like, a certain kind of comic to come out. And I would like to see more stuff in his vein, right? Like, projects that he picks out and sees, like, have that, that potential, you know, to, uh, to tell, you know, more human stories in kind of, like, abstract or, like, you know, surrealist kind of ways. Like, that's kind of his bread and butter. And I, I would love to see more, um, more comics like that. So, I, I think he would be a good, a good pick for me getting more um, different kind of books. Phil?
1: Yeah, I thought about it. And I think an interesting choice would be Warren Ellis. I think about what he's been doing. with Wildstorm, mm. which is like its own imprint, but it's all condensed into one title. And I think he's a creative, and innovative enough writer that there could be something really, there could be something to that. Yeah,
4: he's doing Injection too, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. I think that's a good pick. Or you can go with my previous two answers. So I'm or you a not, you
0: shut or the not. Yeah,
2: right. Get get out of here. Uh,
0: so I, I'm I'm actually gonna pick Brian K. Vaughn. I I think that uh, an imprint by him where he's curating it and driving the ship. Uh, I mean, he's got tons of television history where you work in a writer's room and you you know work with all these different creators. So I think on that front, he would be excellent. And then, I mean, if you look at the books that he's published since he left the big two, they're all diverse. They're all very interesting. And I, I wish he would go back to working with superhero comics just because I love the angle that he comes at things with. And I think that we're missing that, so if he came in to d c and he was able to choose the creators and the characters and just you know put some cool stuff out, I think that'd be awesome,
2: yeah, or even Marvel, <clears throat> you yeah, know like they could they could really use leadership from somebody like like b k v he was he was my second choice. they could really use leadership, well, yeah, in general, but I think specifically from someone of his caliber, you know uh, I,
3: I almost just went, no, Bendis just just moved there, so.
2: and um i think to the point you just made sean right like i think one of the things that comes to mind with him as well is like how good like how collaborative saga is you know like how well known he is for like really working closely with artists um and and giving them a lot of control so like i feel Mm, like he'd be a good person to work underneath
0: yeah for sure be a fun time for all involved and for us as readers
2: oh yeah yeah some really good books would come out of that for sure i would love to i would love to see him do something like that
0: i'm really interested in what uh listeners want to see in this in this vein so what creator would you like to see get a pop-up imprint, whether that's at marvel or dc uh you can definitely write to us comicspals at gmail.com and uh speak your mind on that subject and of course you can leave a comment on youtube as well which a lot of you like to do so keep that up uh, so now let's jump into the Pals polls for the week. Uh, Kale chose Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye Volume 2. Uh,
3: yeah, this is the second volume of the Cave Carson series put out by Young Animal. Um, I I had a really good time with uh, Volume 1 of the series, um, so I'm pumped that Volume 2 is finally out so I can read it. Very excited to see where this one, what wacky adventures Cave Carson takes us on. <laughs>
0: That sounds fun. And then you also chose Rock Candy Mountain Volume Eight.
3: Uh, yes, uh, number eight. So this is uh the Sorry, last yeah. issue in in the series. Um, and I I'd, I've heard heard about this series floating around. I hadn't I hadn't uh, picked it up, but the uh the premise, as I understand it, is it's a a hobo kung fu comic.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: It was just, so I'm I'm interested. Um I, I picked this one specifically, one, because I saw it in the in the solicitations, but also because it's the last issue in the series, that means the trade's coming out soon. Uh, so pick it up, support it, so we can see more weird-sounding books like this.
0: Nice. Cool. From Phil, we've got Challengers of the Unknown hardcover.
1: So I chose Challengers of the Unknown by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. This was Jeff Loeb's introduction into the comic book industry when he tagged into dc they gave him a list of characters he wasn't allowed to write and really or no they gave him a list of characters he could write and it was mostly just like obscure shit uh because dc was a lot more conservative continuity back in like 1992 or whatever and he was like well shit this gives me very little options can i can i write the challenges the unknown because in his perspective No one did anything with the Challengers of the Unknown. So it was an eight-issue miniseries. They're printing it into a hardcover. And this is one of the more innovative things he ever did because this is when he was really hungry. So check it out.
3: That's awesome. Cool. That's a good move. That's what I would have done too. Uh, Challengers of the Unknown? (laughs) (laughs) I guess.
0: Uh, So for Marco, we've got Swamp Thing Winter Special again. Uh, Cancel. <laughs> and you already talked about it, so we're going to skip right by that, unless you want to say a few quick, words. Um, quick words.
4: The Longbox Boys are going to be reviewing it with me. That's enough. Oh.
0: <laughs> with you? Great.
4: Oh, are not with be... me, but like, like they're going to read it at the same time and then let me know on the show and then no, I'll go be happy. No, on to the show.
0: Uh, and then Royal City, number 10.
4: And then Royal City is a Jeff Lemire book. Um, I've brought it up in the past. It's a really good series about uh, a creatively drained writer who returns back to his hometown, uh, amidst his father's heart attack and like just sort of the, the stuff that goes around and some guilt that he carries and like uh, about mental issues and stuff. It's, it's really cool, done really, really well uh, with Lemire's sort of style and his watercolors and his writing is really strong and personal. Um, so yeah, you go go pick it up. I think the first trade is already out and this should be the last issue of this most recent arc. So, in like a month or two, volume two might be out.
2: Nice.
0: Awesome.
3: It's really weird. I, Jeff Lemire's been following me around, but I didn't know uh, I didn't know the narrative <laughs> he was taking about it.
0: <laughs> I was going to make that joke, but I decided to leave it alone. You got to be quicker, Sean. <laughs> uh, so, from Pete, we've got Snot Girl number nine. Yeah, uh, Snot Girl is a book that
2: Marco and I have talked about to death. Uh, you know, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, one of uh, – definitely, I'm at least – Both of ours, I would say, favorite books being published right now. You know, it's a great creative team. Brian Lee O'Malley uh, from, you know, Scott Pilgrim. um, And then uh, Leslie Hung does the art and she's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, So, definitely go pick it up if you haven't yet.
0: Um, This
2: current arc has been a lot of
0: fun. You also chose Paper Girls number 20.
2: Yep. Uh, Another book we've talked about a lot. So, I won't uh, belabor the point. Um, We were talking about Brian K. Vaughn earlier. That's uh, Brian K. Vaughn joint. It's great if you're a fan of, um, you know, kind of that like –
4: 80s aesthetic
2: 80s kids on a like you know supernatural mission aesthetic yeah et like stranger things yeah right it's that kind of vibe but with four women and um time travel abound, all that kind of stuff it's it's a great time really fun sci-fi book
3: do you know is there anything you can tell us about this issue specifically
2: no i i haven't i don't i'm not like without
3: without spoiling it or anything yeah i'm
2: i'm uh i caught up on the last volume and i haven't read any of the the current arc so like i'm i, I think like maybe th- three or four issues behind so yeah i can't speak to what's going on in it right now but it's a book i really enjoy
4: yeah i'm, I'm reading it monthly it's um they've traveled like, like the first couple arcs they travel back in time, not like back in the future, but it's like a, a weird dystopian future. There's just a lot that goes on, so I'd rather like, – like like that's
0: it, you know? Okay. Uh, and then you also chose Walking Dead 176.
2: What can I say about The Walking Dead? That hasn't been said before. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, you're a fan of The Walking Dead. If not, you're probably not going to jump on it
0: at <laughs> this late in the game. So, Alright, so for me, I chose Batman White Knight number 5. Now, this has been a very, very interesting book. Um, It's basically what if the Joker got cured? There were pills that could cure him. And what if he was actually still a genius? Because a lot of people see the Joker as kind of like this criminal mastermind. Well, What if he lost the criminal part and was just a genius mastermind? And used that intellect to try to better Gotham but also take Batman out of the equation from the side of good Um, and it also paints Batman as more of a sort of like policeman in a sense of like he's you know he's he's Working outside the law, but he really is within the law or should be calling into question that stuff, calling into question police brutality with respect to the, the areas in which Batman actually does his job. Oftentimes mm. it's in places where, you know, people are poor um, and Nightwing and, and Batgirl actually questioning Batman's decisions and seeing merit in the Joker's perspective. So uh, it also like casts the relationship between Harley and um, Joker in a new light. Which is really interesting and will probably be something that a lot of people who have problems with the Joker and Harley Quinn relationship would really like. So, uh, I recommend this book highly. It's very good. Uh, and I'm excited to see where they take it and how it's going to end. It's, it's on its way to the end. So, I'm really looking forward to... How, m- how many issues is it? I believe it's six. Five or six. Uh, so, this is either the last one or second to last. I can't recall. But um, it's really they, good
3: stuff. Do they reveal... Joker's identity, or is that is that one of the big spoilers
0: of the series that th- that hasn't come up okay yet I don't know if it will
2: yeah uh, I know uh I know Andy from the video game pals has really been enjoying this one as well um he picked it up like on a whim and like got really hooked in it so uh yeah i've been I've been wanting to check it out i'm I'm glad you're liking it too yeah it's
0: very very enjoyable uh and then I also chose x men red number one so This is the aftermath of Phoenix Resurrection. Uh, I'm very excited that Jingray Grey is back and I can't wait to see what they do here, Uh, and I love this creative team. Tom Taylor has been killing it on um, on uh, gosh, what's it called? Uh, All New Wolverine, starring X-23. That's a really, really good book. And then uh, Mahmoud Azrar is one of my favorite artists, uh, one, of the, one of the coolest guys in the industry, one of the nicest guys I've ever met uh, in the industry, and also a super talented artist, so I can't wait to see what those two can do together. I'm not super, super sold on the actual team of X-Men, but it's been great, it's a great creative team, so I am on the board for this. Uh, so, let's jump into the news, shall we? Huge, huge, huge news week. Uh, starting with the biggest bombshell, which is the massive info dump regarding what Brian Michael Bendis is going to be doing over at DC Comics. Uh, you finally know. Fucking yes, everything. Everything. <laughs> this is going to take, this, this, this is like a mountain of information. So it's going to take me a while to get through it all. Uh, but let's start. So strap in. Yes, there you go. Let, let's start with the fact that Brian Bendis is going to be taking over both Action Comics and Superman come July. So he's kind of nice. going to be overseeing the entire uh, Superman line of books. Uh, so we know he'll be doing Action Comics 1000. He's got a 10-page uh, story there. Um, and he had this to say about it. It's not just some random backup story or flight of fancy. It's a major chapter in what we're doing with some really big bombs we're dropping in Superman's life. And two of them happen right there in action comics 1000. So it's a huge tease of what we're doing and what's coming up in Superman's life. Uh, so that on its face is really interesting that the story that he's going to be telling uh, in, the, in these 10 pages is actually like huge material. I think when we talked about it initially, we, we weren't sure whether it would be kind of like fluff, like he said, or really relevant to the bigger you know, Superman story. So now we've got an answer on that one. Uh, so then after Action Comics 1000, he's going to be working in DC Nation number zero, which is dropping on May 2nd, which is interesting because it's just a few days before free comic book day. Uh, so there's that. Why the face kill?
3: What uh, do we know? What DC Nation is yet?
0: I I know that it's kind of like so you know when Free Comic Book Day rolls around, Marvel and DC tend to put out those like primers for what's coming up in their books. Yeah, oh yeah, it's just, like a number zero. Yeah, this is this is that.
3: Okay, because I remember when Young Justice and Green Lantern were on uh, Cartoon Network, I th- I think their little bro- block of programming was called DC Nation.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if there's any connective tissue there but uh so then the art uh then bendis was so excited about this uh the art in that issue is going to be done by jose Luis garcia lopez who is a legendary superman artist uh, who is coming out of semi-retirement to do this book um, wow which is that's huge for i mean bendis Uh, is a a huge fan of him, and and it's huge for him to be getting art from him for this book. So uh, that's huge. That's specifically for number 1,000, or is that for the post? That's DC Nation Zero, the the short story. Okay, okay.
3: If you don't recognize that name, go to Walmart or your local grocery store and go to the fucking party supplies and look at the, you know, Justice League or Superman licensed garbage that they have, and that's... (laughs) That's his art. That's what DC mostly considers, like the
0: the standard for their characters. Yeah, huh? I think that's really cool too. Yeah, man. Um, so that's huge. So that's so that's awesome. But then it gets even better. Uh, I mean, I guess depending on your opinion about Ben is taking over Superman, but uh, that acts as the the DC Nation Zero story acts as a prelude to Man of Steel, which is going to be a six part weekly series that's going to start on May thirtieth. Uh, it's going to feature some heavy hitters. <clears throat> so it's Bendis writing it, but then the art is going to be done by Ivan Reese, Evan Shaner, nice. Ryan Sook, Kevin Maguire, Adam Hughes, and Jason Fabok. So that's every issue will have Whoa. a different superstar artist. Wow. Yeah. That's,
3: and that's cool. Yeah. The cool part about that is they're, they're all similar enough that the the look won't be super different between
0: those artists either jesus (laughs) (laughs) i know uh so then in in man of steel uh it's supposed to shake up the classic story of krypton's final days and kal-el's path to becoming an iconic hero and introduce a new villain that holds a terrifying secret about krypton's destruction uh so whatever But after the release of Man (laughs) of Steel number six, I mean, you know, there's always some terrifying secret. uh, After the release of Man of Steel number six on July 4th, we'll see about that getting delayed or not. um, Bendis and Reese are going to take over Superman with a new number one. So that will be the creative team for the Superman proper book. And then Bendis had this to say. I have a lot of goals for Superman, one of which is to help turn Metropolis into something as provocative and unique as Gotham City is. I think everyone will agree Gotham is one of the most built and best places in all of fictional cities, and Metropolis should follow suit. So Action Comics and DC Nation will be the first hints at how we're going to build up Metropolis. Both in people and in culture, it'll be more than just the place Superman lives. We'll be taking a good look at it, a lot of the places that we haven't looked at before. So. Uh, Superman is going to be the action-oriented title, and then Action Comics is going to focus on Clark and Metropolis and the Daily Planet and building up that world more because I guess Bendis feels like it's not you know thriving, and I, I agree. I don't think Metropolis, especially today, is what it should be.
3: I was yeah, I was going to say I've been looking through uh, old images of uh, Superman comics for you know, an unnamed project we, we have going on, um, of like Metropolis from around the time of like the death of Superman. And that, that, uh, Metropolis back then had a lot going on.
1: Yep. Well, that was kind of fresh out of the John Byrne reboot in 86. Right. Yeah. um, Yeah. They were very involved with the Superman titles from like 86 to 96.
0: Yeah. So this is, this is massive. And I, this is a huge shakeup. Yeah. well, I mean, I haven't I've I haven't been a fan of anything Superman that I have read that came out since I've been a fan of comics, with the exception of the Jeff Johns run, which I read a little bit of. Not not a lot, but while it was coming out, I picked up like an odd issue here or there, and that was great. Sure. But everything else I have felt underwhelmed by. So Bendis being a top level writer, I mean, look, you look at the writers they've had on Superman, with the exception of Johns and Morrison, since like 2005 or something and i mean i guess traczynski you could throw in there as well a lot of there's a lot of their runs haven't felt epic you know they haven't felt monumental i i feel like you don't agree phil I, no i don't go i, well. okay, I, I
3: would i would also argue that with the runs that you're talking about specifically Compared to what Bendis is trying to do, it it seems like he's trying to to build a foundation and build something from that. So I think that's even going to be different from what those guys
0: do or did. I agree, Phil. What's your point of contention?
2: So yeah, who who? What other runs did you think are really seminal? I don't know about seminal. That
1: I mean, the, the thing about an ongoing series where an author only writes it for a short period of time doesn't necessarily. Mean it's gonna be seminal. Um, like Superman hasn't had a luxury that Batman has had in the last fifteen years of an author writing it for like six seven year periods, you know,
5: like mm-hmm. the way that
1: Snyder or or Morrison did, or who knows how. I like for instance, if Tom King were to leave after at the end of this year, he would have a good run, right? But would it be considered seminal? Probably not. Um, Greg rucker had a really good run on the character. Uh. Kurt Busiek, uh, obviously Johns and Morrison. Like, there was a real golden period for Superman books from, like I don't know, 2007 through like 2009, where there was a lot of really good talent involved in these books. Um, and then Morrison took over in 2011. So just because I wouldn't necessarily call them seminal doesn't mean there weren't good stories being produced.
0: They haven't felt important. They, they they felt like it's just, I don't know, man. Um, well,
1: even even John's run, I wouldn't say it was like epic. I don't think it needs to be epic. I think that's something that we're like conditioned to experience in comics. Like Scott Snyder tried to make every arc in Batman epic. I don't really think that. I think that's like a. That's like an unfortunate side effect of writing a major title. It, it doesn't need to be epic. These are smaller stories that I think benefit from. Them. Like I think it, I think the book benefits from smaller stories.
0: That's uh that's a fundamental probably place where we disagree. Um but to carry on, um I did wanna share a little more of um what Bendis had to say about writing uh Superman. So Writing Superman in today's day and age is such a powerful experience. We live in a world where we were, where we've heard truth, justice, and the American way our whole lives, right? But this is the first time those things are really not to be taken for granted. Truth has been revealed to not be as black and white as we thought it was. Justice is sadly not always for everybody, and the American dream, the American way of everybody coming here to pursue the idea that they can live in a safe and healthy life. These are ideas we always took for granted, but now we don't. No matter where you are politically, we just don't take things for granted anymore. So, I guess he's speaking to the importance of Superman in today's day and age, and I I agree with him in the sense that I think that of all the comic book characters, Superman and Captain America really are, like, the ones that, you know, we, we should be looking to right now. And uh, they're the ones that we need to be propping up, I think. I, I think that's, like, always true, though. I don't think it's, like... I,
2: I think... Now more than ever.
0: That, right. That's what I think he's saying. Is that, like,
2: I, I think in a time like this where we are so um, politically charged and, like, divided on on so many fundamental issues... I think um, having a symbol of what are supposed to be, you know, American ideals or values that we all share uh, is, yeah, probably more important than ever.
1: I feel like every writer that comes into Superman says that. I feel like I've heard this verbiage every time.
0: Well, but I'm I'm speaking from a perspective of, like, not a writer who's working on Superman, and it feels very much like we need Superman right now. Uh, And I haven't always felt that way. Because we're living in a time where it's like, hey, man, I need something to look up to, you know?
3: Yeah. I think, you know, I think especially if you compare this with, like,
2: you know, how big Batman was around around the time of uh, The Dark Knight. Even before that, when we were growing up, Batman was the yeah. shit, you know? Like, 89 Batman made Batman a big fucking deal for our generation.
3: And Batman the Animated Series, for sure. Um, yeah. It just, you know, it was it was something for that particular time um and especially the dark knight you know there was a lot there that people needed to hear and needed to chew on and i think that's why that movie resonates with so many people and i i think right now specifically is a real important time to turn back to superman
0: yeah and i'm that's why i'm glad that we're getting so much of a focus on him now with Bendis and with these amazing artists and all this and Action Comics 1000, like, come on, this couldn't have come at a better time. Um, yeah, and but, and and so, but yeah,
3: like Phil, I think you're right. I, I think it is something that if you're if you're trying to write Superman, I think it's those are ideals you want to strive for. But I also,
1: yeah, Tomasi said the same thing.
3: But I also think giving Bendis this particular window and and you know. With all of the things he's trying to do, it sounds like he's going to really lay the foundation in a way that other writers, at least in recent times, haven't been able to.
2: Right, and I think been able to is a great, like, oh, well, you can shake your head all you want, but it's like, this is different, because, like...
3: The dude dude's doing three Superman titles in a span of two months. Like, he's right, going to lay something a,
2: down. Right, that's the point I'm trying to make, is that, like, he... Isn't coming in at a point where it's like, you know, a new 52 or a rebirth or something where like we're shaking things up. It's like he's taking over to like start this new direction for the character and it's like across the brand. Like it's not in this one book that he's doing. It's across all of the Superman titles and like that is an opportunity for a shakeup. You know, like whether whether you like it or not. Listen, I'm the one who
1: actually reads Superman books, and this is something that's happened four times in ten years. The complete shakeup of the brand, of the character, of the titles for a new direction. This is not new. <laughs> and this is not unique verbiage.
0: I don't think anyone's and, arguing that it's unique.
1: And I just because a writer says this doesn't really mean anything. What this sounds like to me is Ben to Superman. And we'll see how it turns out. I've,
3: fair, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, that's fair. I
1: mean, that's that's really it. I mean, I know he'll have a lot of freedom, but that doesn't mean that when he's done, people are going to follow what he does because what he does might not be good, and it might be filled with a bunch of OCs. So, I mean, that happens too.
0: Yeah, I, 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 guess that's just not really my point. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying that this is really cool, and I love the fact that there's a focus on Superman and. You know, he's being given the reins in a way that, look, you just can't argue the fact that the fact they're giving him all of the Superman titles, you know, it's going to be under Bendis. And that's not something that really happens with Superman. They don't really make him a priority in this way. And that's what I'm saying, that that's what's cool about this. So um, but that's just one piece of this whole puzzle, because in addition to that, uh, Jinx World, which is sort of Bendis's creator-owned bubble, is all those books, or a lot of those books, there were some that went unmentioned, are moving over to DC. And so this is what Bendis had to say. Uh, DC is going to be hosting Jinx World as a whole. So everything I've ever done in the creator-owned world will be coming to DC. And on top of that, we'll be debuting brand new material, brand new series that I think will be exciting for the marketplace and for fans. Stuff I haven't tried before, and stuff... People have been begging us for. We'll be debuting that all this year. So so crazy. Yeah. that's Nice.
2: A, that's so crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, he did this, a similar thing with Marvel, where they published a lot of his stuff through the Icon imprint that Marvel does have. Right. And uh, in the article, the Forbes article, uh, which we'll have a link to, he kind of sort of says in a nice way that Marvel didn't really push his books. The way that that he would have liked. And I guess he feels like DC is really going to put the marketing push behind his his Jinx World books to really get those out there to the people. And I think that's cool because a lot of that stuff is really good. Like, even when people were crapping on Bendis, Scarlet was one of the books that I always pointed to as like, man, this book is really, really, really good. And it's not getting attention. Uh, So Bendis has chops in that space for sure
4: powers similarly like that's all that's all there and I, I know i definitely know icon doesn't push because uh it's so hard to find an like a single issue of powers you have to just like scrape the bottom of every barrel at every store just to find an issue and then like even worse are the trades so if they can yeah
2: I- icon's a joke like except for kick-ass
4: yeah so like if they can if they can push this like that'll be huge um yeah, and it, it it's a good space for him to let those creative like pent up creative juices flow for his all his indie stuff. Yep.
0: Uh, and then the other the other huge news uh, is that they're giving Bendis a an imprint, a, a sort of quote unquote pop up imprint, like what we talked about earlier. Uh, not unlike uh, Gerard Way's, uh, and he's going to be sort of curating. This whole imprint where he's going to bring on writers and artists to work on these titles, no word on what they're going to be yet. Um, but the fact that they're continuing that sort of trend, I think is a good sign. And I'll just read some words from Bendis and then we can dissect that. Separate from Jinx World is that I will be hosting and curating an imprint, a custom imprint, not unlike what Gerard Way is doing with DC, DC's Young Animal. It's going to be a select series of special comics and will be, will debut with those are later in the year. I'll be writing some of those and curating the others, but they'll all be under this imprint and add a very special flavor to the DC universe. I'm happy to say it will star some of my all time favorite dc characters in unique situations and that i could not be more excited for
4: this is really cool um the the, i feel like a lot of publishers are sort of leaning into like the indie imprint like they'll have their main brand like dark horse with burger books um like just dc again with um originally when they had vertigo you know it was a huge success it sort of spun off into its own thing and then again with young animal spun off into its whole like a whole thing I, i i see a lot of success in this method, in in this um, sort of idea, because it's sort of almost tested, tried, and, and sort of proven out within D- the the space of DC. So I just see it as like, this is the move to go. And I, I feel that other publishers just sort of, sort of follow suit.
2: Yeah, because this is the way that you ensure that your top tier talent doesn't leave to go do an image book, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like why would, like now Bembis can do you know, superhero stuff with DC. And he also has, you know, the Jinx world stuff. So he can do his specifically projects or specifically his projects. And then he can also have this like, you know, little pet project where he can write some more obscure heroes and like shepherd new talent. Like he can kind of do everything at DC, you know, like there's no reason for him to go anywhere else.
4: And to your earlier point, he can sort of guide it to what he wants so, you know he'll be the guy overseeing everything who like it'll be interesting to see what kind of talent he pulls in as well
2: yeah absolutely um i this is an interesting move i like i wasn't expecting him to do this much so soon which maybe yeah. was naive of me um i think this is good for their relationship with bendis i have concerns about how much he's doing um because i think you know Burnout's real. And like, I know that he was famous for doing a ton of work at Marvel, but I feel like I was excited to see him do less and focus more. So I hope that this stuff isn't all like right away. I hope that this is like, you know, this is like his one or two or three year plan at DC, right? Of like, these are all the things I'm working on and things that'll be rolling out when appropriate. Um, but you know, like, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this all shakes out, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, any last thoughts about this? Uh, man, this I think we're gonna
3: we're gonna see uh, a Bendis Renaissance, and whether that's good or bad, I you know, uh, I we'll have to wait and see. But I you know, I I'm looking forward to it.
1: Phil,
2: hashtag Bendis speak. Oh, <laughs> Cool. Just, cool so, just- so we can move on. yeah i i really hope you have to eat those words i really do
0: you'll be reading though right phil
2: who me (laughs) fuck you
0: (laughs) now before we move on before we before we carry on through the further news uh i uh pulled a marco as host uh believe it or not yes i you know i'm infallible i'm not infallible uh phil and i we're supposed to review Dark Knight's Metal number 5. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> boy, oh,
3: boy. We're just going to go I ahead. Guess, I guess Pete and I can carry the show by ourselves. We're going to have to get new shirts. Um,
0: <laughs> just make our heads really big.
3: Without Marco, the financial backing here is really gone going downhill. Well, um,
0: we're, we're just going to go ahead and take a few minutes and just talk about it. Phil, just give us your take on this issue, the penultimate issue of what has been a really – good and fun and engaging epic so far um, uh, sorry
3: before you before you start I, I'm gonna jump out
1: oh sure fair enough he wants to read it still but he's a trade waiter um so this wasn't this this issue wasn't the uh, provocative piece that I thought issue number four was Four offered a lot of insight into the larger DC Cosmic landscape that I, I so much dig the shit that is my wheelhouse. This was more. We only have six issues to do this. Let's get this shit rolling so we can finish up the fucking story. Uh, and it was exciting. It was it was exciting. This was the kind of thing that um that Snyder likes to do. He likes action. He likes things to feel epic, and this was. Three or four separate points, uh, getting ready to converge, I think. Because issue SG- six is probably getting convergence of all these side stories. Uh, it had moments that I know fans were really excited about, such as the reintroduction of the Martian Manhunter. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was a showcase of Wonder Woman, I thought. Wonder Woman looked like a fucking badass all issue. Yeah.
0: It was,
1: it was cool. Uh, it was it was a very action-packed issue, and I am worried that they that six is going to be a mess because I don't know how the pacing is going to work. But um, I'm interested. I'm I'm hooked. I want to see how it ends. Uh, and uh, the other thing I really wanted to make note of was how excellent the art has been consistently throughout this entire series. The first. Page with yeah. Barbados and the Batman who laughs was so fantastic. It really underscores what a legend Greg Capullo is in this industry. He's going to go down as one of the most defining artists of the generation.
0: Uh, and I I agree with your assessment of this issue. Um, this is very much the desperate attempt to figure out any kind of last solution, you know, to the problem. And then the realization that the heroes have failed. And that's always the coolest (laughs) segment of an event, for me at least. I love that point. Um, And we're here, and it was handled so well, I thought. Um, And uh, I agree with you that this was really a showcase for Wonder Woman. She came out of this looking fantastic. And that second-to-last panel where she jumps into battle, awesome! I was – oh, my goodness, man. Like, just so cool. Awesome. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Uh, I'm worried that the last issue is going to have some kind of fucking ass pole due ex machina because they have one issue to resolve this.
0: Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was my only other thought or question was like, how do they even get out of this? They're done.
1: They're doing a good job of hooking you in. How will our heroes escape this peril? Find out next week on the Super Friends.
0: All right, so we'll we'll update you guys with our thoughts on the finale issue when that does drop next month. Do you have any closing thoughts, Phil? Are you good?
1: I'm good. I I gotta say, I think this is one of the best events that any comic publisher has put out in several years.
4: Yeah. I have a closing thought. Sorry, listeners, Sam and over here.
0: I don't even know what you said. See, that's that's the thing about you, Marco, is that I don't even know what you mean. Kale, okay, come back in.
2: <laughs> High quality podcast. There you here. go.
3: I didn't All know. Right. I, I, I saw Sean waving. I didn't know if he was like fanning himself because of how like,
1: good the issue was. Or...
0: All right. Well, it's like 20 degrees. So definitely not fanning myself. This issue made him real hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. We've, we just talked about uh, Metal, but now we know what Scott Snyder is going to be doing post-Metal because uh, he's going to be taking over Justice League, which is pretty monumental. Uh, so there's going to be a, a sort of weekly series uh, that's called Justice League No Justice, and it's going to be written by Scott Snyder. Josh Williamson, and James Tinian fourth, with art by Francis Manipool, and it's going to run weekly in May. So the story there is that Brainiac comes to Earth, and he's got a warning uh, for the Justice League and the the DC heroes about a threat that can only be stopped if the Justice League teams up with DC's worst villains. Uh, So then they released some concept art and preview art, and the teams that they've put together, it's kind of like it's kind of like a mainline Justice League hero team putting together their own wacky team. So, for example, you've got Superman teaming up with Martian Manhunter, Sinestro, and Starfire, which is like a weird combination. Uh, and then there are there are other ones as well uh, that you can check out. Um, but it looks it looks good, I guess. I'm a little weirded off by the fact that their costumes are color coordinated. I don't like that. Uh, but otherwise. Um, yeah, so uh Snyder no, guys, we had to pick teams based on who
2: looks the best together, standing <laughs> in a deliberate pose, obviously.
0: Right. Uh, so Snyder had this to say about the upcoming series. We thought we knew the entire map of the DC cosmos. We thought we had explored all there was to explore. But now we know that all this time, the multiverse was nothing but a fishbowl, and now we've been dumped into the ocean, unleashing terrifying new threats and wondrous new possibilities. Metal opened up channels of storytelling that Francis, James, and Joshua, and I are excited to explore in a big way. When we're finished, fans will never look at the Justice League the same way again. So... Uh, after this, um, Snyder will take over Justice League, and Tinian and, and Williamson will write some spin off series with even more spin offs planned after that. So expect spin offs of spin offs of spin offs. And we have no release date on any of this stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for Scott Snyder to take over the Justice League.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this sounds like a, a fun enough idea and like snyder's a proven talent so like let's see how it goes
3: yeah and so are so are tinian tinian and uh joshua Williamson. and um the yeah. thing i'm excited for here is uh francis Manipal's art his run on flash is one of the seminal pieces of art that are just amazing i use some of it in my thesis like i love Manipal and uh i cannot wait to see what he does with this the stuff he's already put out in the um you know and the previews are is
1: stunning.
4: Do do we know if he if uh, Snyder's been on any other team book? I um,
1: mean Dark Knight's Metal. Yeah, I mean that's really I think yeah. that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh I, I honestly don't. I I there's, there always seems to be like a, a DC hierarchy of things like Batman and Justice League are like the two things they dangle for people. Um and, for, for understandable reasons. And it's just like, where does Snyder go from Batman? Where does he go from medals? And Justice League seems like a logical point. I I don't know if it will work. Uh, metals has been working. Uh, but often I have a hard... I, I struggle to... I, I feel like Snyder struggles to land his endings and we'll certainly find out next month with Dark Knight Metal 6 uh, and I don't know how he'll do with the actual team book and ongoing uh, but he likes he's good with epics uh, and Justice League lends itself to that sort of environment so it could it really could be good
3: I I, I really think Snyder excels with collaborations though and especially with other writers so I I think sort of being, I don't know, not anchored, but sort of tethered to suit to two other sort of, you know, for for a lack of a better term, safety nets. Like I think I think it you know, it
0: could pull out pull out. What what endings did you think that Snyder didn't land?
1: Most of his Batman run, honestly.
0: Dude, the ending to that run was was the some of the best Batman stuff ever.
1: I've always been really critical of Scott Snyder's Batman. I don't even think Court of Owls ended very well. I, re- I thought it ended really anticlimactically.
0: But the ending to that run—did oh, you didn't like that? The whole no—the
1: the culmination of the actual end of Scott Snyder's run was actually pretty good. But like, I'm talking about like his story arcs specifically.
0: All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, <clears throat> so let's move on to another bombshell that was dropped this week, which is that Valiant Entertainment has been 100. percent Bought up by the Chinese investors dmG now crazy yeah, when this was first announced, there was a lot of hemming and hawing over whether or not this was good. A lot of people thought it was really good, some people didn't know what to think because we had very little information. but now that we have the information, I'm not so sure how good this is looking uh so Hollywood reporter uh broke the news and got the full scoop. About DMG Entertainment acquiring Valiant. So now DMG is a Chinese investor who owned already fifty-seven percent of Valiant. Uh, so what they did was they bought out the rest because they really want to make Valiant a high-value uh, film property, um, akin to the Marvel Universe or the DC, you know, film universe. Uh, that's well, the the Marvel one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh they see they see big time value in what Valiant has done. And so that's fine uh except that the CEO and founder of DMG uh Dan Mintz, doesn't necessarily have the clout that you would think he does given his title and uh experience. See uh he he's he's been an executive producer on several things uh like Point Break, uh Iron Man 3, Looper and uh Collide some so some big stuff um okay. yeah. but executive producer a lot of times means I put a lot of money into this so give me a credit. And that's what that is here. He's an investor. He invested his money in those projects and they gave him the executive producer credit. Uh his director credits are even more questionable because he has a director credit on the three-minute-long Iron Man 3, the prologue, um, but it uses only the Chinese scenes from Iron Man 3. uh, That's all it is. And it was created by DMG to further the movie's distribution in China. If you guys remember, Iron Man 3 did gangbusters in China, and this is part of the reason why. Uh, and then he also directed 2004's American Crime and 2001's Cookers, but they didn't get an American release. They didn't get an American theatrical release. I'm going to say I've never heard of him. Right. Exactly. And so there's a lot of questions about what talent is actually behind this and also what this means for the comic book, the the, the publishing arm of Valium. Like, what's going to happen? Well... Uh, All of the main, or the three main members of the publishing arm quit. The CEO, Dinesh Shandanazi, he quit. Uh, And two other of the main people who put Valiant back together after it fell apart, they're gone.
3: Well, that's rough. Fun while it lasted, Valiant. It's
2: not like (laughs) super surprising, like that I feel like that kind of thing happens a lot of times when you have like a hostile takeover like this, but you know, ugh, that's not a good that's not a good sign for a creative company when you have the people that rebuilt it leaving. It's like, okay, well, is that infrastructure left then for it to continue on?
0: <laughs> like Mintz did have this to say, and I, you know, who knows? he said, you can expect more strong storytelling with a defined road to other platforms. I'm also looking forward to bringing the writers close to the filmmaking process, which is something that is also important, and not keeping them siloed into the comic book area.
3: Good talk! I mean, I don't know, not really, because he's. it sounds to me like he views comic book writers as, you know, that language as sort of pigeonholed.
0: Well he, he he was he's actually saying the opposite. That he wants to that he wants to bring them in and have them be involved in the process of making the films. Right. But
3: his it what it what it sounds like to me is he's he's using that as like PR speak of like, uh oh, I'm gonna bring these lowly comic book writers up to the film world and they can make No.
2: That film. No, like I don't I don't think that's the impression he's giving at all. I think he's more saying like, oh, like you know, at those other publishers, like all they'll let you do is write the comics and they take them out of your hands and let some Hollywood type work on it. But I think what he's saying is that they're going to have the people who are writing the comics be closely involved in their paths to other industries, as he put it or whatever. It passed to other platforms.
0: That's what I interpreted. But the thing is that I don't believe him. That's that's mm. where I'm coming at it from. I agree with you, Pete, but I just don't believe. him. Yeah. I'm saying that's how I interpret yeah. that PR yeah. speak. Likewise, I don't know this guy, and it sounds like his his you know h- h- what he's done. It's I don't know. It's not really clear to me that he's got the chops to run something like this, especially when DMG is ju- they're just investors. So who are the creative brains here?
2: Yeah, like who are the people actually seeing this like vision come to fruition? Any other thoughts? It's a wait and see kind of thing. I think I want Valiant to succeed. I really do.
4: 100%. Yeah. But yeah,
2: man, I mean, I think they were a, a, like an important disruptive force these last couple of years, like seeing them really start to etch out a niche for themselves was emboldening to me, you know, to think like maybe someone else can sell superhero comics. <laughs> yeah, the, the more success there
1: is in the comic book industry outside of Marvel and DC, like the better it is for the industry. It's healthier. Hmm.
2: And it
3: seemed like they were just getting their feet on the ground for like you know movies and and series and stuff.
0: Yeah. Right. And DMG made the decision to buy them out when they already had stuff cooking. They had stuff in the pot yeah. already and DMG swept in. Now granted, could they have done those things without DMG as a financial backer owning 57% of the company? Probably not. DMG is well within right. their rights to do this. But my question is, is it smart to make a move that look, we're not we're not there. But I'm 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 thinking, right? That maybe this move forced out the the founders and or and not the founders, but the people who brought Valiant back, the revival. That's yeah, worrisome yeah. for me because those people obviously had the right idea because they're part of the reason why this thing worked to begin with. Right, maybe, right.
4: Maybe the move was that DMG was gonna get or was gonna put in the the money by buying it, but maybe something there was some kind of fallout which led to the um these they weren't the founders, but like the the people who brought it back to to that forced them to quit. So they, they were probably trying to they believed in it maybe, you know, the direction and everything, and then maybe threw money at it, bought it out, but it sort of backfired on their end. I don't know, it's speculation, but like
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well I'm sure we'll get more information as this as this unfolds. But I just hope for the for the the good future of Valiant because we need we need them uh and and they've struggled to really get their books out there and it seems like within the last year we've heard a lot more about them and their projects and for this to happen now I don't know it's
2: concerning yeah it is and i i hope that you're wrong that like that this vision that they have is a shared one and that you know the these people left because of business reasons right that like they weren't happy with, you know, the new leadership or that DMG wanted to take out the old leadership to put someone in who can execute their vision. Like, you know, hopefully those people can execute that vision, right? Like, hopefully they get people who are uh, tested and, and know how to, to operate this kind of, you know, expansion. Because I do think that having the Valiant properties in places that aren't comics will be good for the brand overall. But not if it's at the expense of the comics because that's that's what we have, right? That's the backbone. Like there is nothing else that's a proven product. And I don't think that the characters themselves are established enough um, for that IP yeah. to be worth it on its own. You know? Like they mean something to people who read indie comics and like that's it. So if that struggles, the whole business is going to falter.
0: Uh, so <laughs> last week you guys talked about John Mallon. And that was the uh, that was the end segment. And that was Jesus Christ. Uh, interesting. The best topic. Best topic. Uh, <laughs> wrong. So <laughs> worst. Shortly shortly after that, uh, John released a Patreon for uh, Mortal Enemy, which is a
3: a uh, level headed <sighs> book that is very uh, friendly to new readers. Gotta be, you know, uh, very, gotta be, I mean, at least left-leaning, you know, sort of inclusive for everybody, right? Like, no.
0: (laughs) It's, first of all, it's very murky, exactly what moral Enemy is going to be. But also, the way he describes, or the way he starts it, because every patron, you know, they've got their, like, opening statement. And his is very inflammatory, but I see what he's going for. So let's, let's read a little bit of this. In late January 2018, while coming in on two years at Marvel, I became a major controversial figure within my industry when I began to speak out about ideologies or ideologues within our industry. Creatives and editorial that were contributing to bringing the comic book industry to its knees, using political intimidation against artists and being aggressive towards our fans, calling them Nazis and calling for Nazis to be punched, all because of political differences. They pushed the ideology into the comics, and when fans asked them to chill, they told fans to not buy their books Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the comics, press, and companies largely turned a blind eye for fear of reprisal skeletons in their own closets, or they shared the ideology. Okay, so there you go. Uh <laughs> Social justice warriors rallied from my head, demanded that I be fired, tried to paint me as alt-right even though I support some Democrat and Republican views. I'm a moderate that leans libertarian that tries to warn people regularly of the dangers of the far left and the far right because they are ide- ideologies. And I also voted for Obama, but to them, clearly a racist Nazi bigot, all documented in my Twitter feed. I launched Moral enemy in an attempt to free myself from an industry that had begun to silence and devour its own editorial talent and fandom. So, he launches his t- Patreon with a statement that is upset that comics have become political, but he himself is making a political statement. So, on his face that there's that. Uh, but also he makes the false claim that recent editorial recent comic book creators have made comics political, which is insanely wrong and he's either willfully ignorant of the history of comics or you know, just doesn't know what he's talking about because comics have always been this way. Um, any any follow up thoughts on this? This uh, it reminds it,
3: re- it reminds me of the uh, the dad from Get Out. Yep. Uh, I, look, I voted for Obama. I would have voted for Obama three times if I could have.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That was that was my main takeaway It's like when he's like, oh, I can't be a racist. I voted for Obama. And it's like, okay, <laughs> right, Trump can't great.
3: Be a, <laughs> Trump can't be a racist. He f- hired black people. He wouldn't have black people well, work for him if that, he was a racist.
1: What's that Donald Trump quote? I'm probably the least racist person. <laughs> <laughs>
5: this just
1: shit like that. This this verbiage where it's like. It's like it's like seeing cool kids on the street and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go fit in. And you go in and you get all the verbiage wrong, but you have like a sense of what it is. And everyone just looks at you like, wow, you're a real dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: why am I not fitting in? So he goes on to say, think of Immortal Enemy as a fan club. Not a fan of me, but the comics and the usual related things like movies, video games, Cartoons, board games, card games like Magic, or whatever you want in what is it's considered like, what are you deep talking culture. About? This guy's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: it's
0: like you're
2: paying to join my Patreon feed so that we can all talk about nerd shit in a place where libs won't get to us. That's what he's saying, like- essentially.
0: And he's charging. So I mean, you know, he's charging a dollar, ten dollars, fifty dollars, um, but he wants to make three thousand dollars a month, off of this, and he says that, hey, if one person donates one, or if 3,000 people donate one dollar, I'll be good to go. That's how math works. Uh, 3,000 people are not going to donate one dollar, sir. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you don't know that. Like, that's,
3: I mean, there are at least 3,000 shitty, hateful comics fans who have a dollar. So
2: Yeah, and who will, who will look at the narrative that he's spinning Side with him because they agree with his political side of the spectrum and sign right up. I I I don't I don't know that three thousand people will sign up, but I wouldn't be surprised if three thousand did. Anyway, uh, what's so I'm the number signing
0: right up, now? It, I'm signing up. It's it's at forty six people. You, Marco. Oh, good, forty six people. You're killing it, buddy. That's what I'm trying to say. So, uh, what the the highest tier possible? Right this this is what I got a kick out of. It's called mortal enemy Emperor and this is for people who donate50 dollars or more per month and the following is the is the uh, the commentary you are one of the ten emperors there can be no more the lands are divided but the days of battle are over you are high on your mountain you have the abilities of all below you emperors also will help make certain creative decisions including picking the next Months high res downloadable topic and video game I- and video ideas for the next month. They will also receive copies of any physical products made through Mortal Enemy, including a full figure commission of their favorite comic character of their choice uh-huh. every six months, which is worth the value you pay alone. The more members Mortal Enemy gains, Allows us to become a more serious publisher of physical content, and because of that, the more product emperors receive. So, we will, we hope you will be an advocate for promoting Mortal Enemy whenever possible, but not required. So,
3: t- okay, Marco, help me do some math here. 10 yep. people, right, doing $50 a month. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: It's $500 a month.
3: Yep. Okay. Uh,. W- what was the thing about the action figure? <laughs> action
4: figure was like you get a 30. You, no, you, no, no action figure. Was it, a, it, was it was a, was a statue, commission. right?
0: You got a commission. Oh, it was a commission. A oh, commission. a statue. That's, oh, that's uh, even no, fucking not worse. A statue, no, 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 no
4: statue. Commission, commission. A, a full, drawing. I had, I, I had heard, yeah, I had heard a statue or like a okay. figure. Yeah, Inclu- okay. yeah it All says right.
0: including a full figure commission of their oh, favorite okay.
3: color. Okay, I took that to mean like action figure. I was like, well, man, Simil- wow, that's gonna be insane.
2: Yes like he says it's a fan club but then he's talking about printing stuff but also making videos and like just all this outlet or output rather that like it doesn't sound like he has a plan for how he's going to make them like does he have any history in video production is there anybody else working with him like
0: what are you even talking about doing here man? Well dude if you were a patron you would be able to see that he's got stuff man just be an emperor.
2: I got to throw down 50 bucks a month so I can become the emperor. I
0: want to be an emperor. There can only be 10 emperors.
2: We'll be five of them right now. Let's go do it. <laughs> no, I'm down. I
4: don't, I don't have know. money for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I want to be an emperor.
2: Well, well, listen. There's
4: only nine left, so.
1: When you're oppressed by the SJWs like he is, oppression <sighs> creates and innovates art. He may not seem like he has a plan yet, but he has He's,
2: he's a Jew in SJW Hitler and he's gonna survive. This is his attic.
0: I just really love that he threw it magic randomly like, Magic the Gathering. Like, that's the main card game out right now. Like, like I'm the, I don't know that. Like, who is this guy just throwing out magic? Like, <laughs> it just, if Magic the Gathering, bro. It's a big deal. Mm, yeah. <laughs>
3: Good luck. And I'll tell you another thing. We won't get those women in these comics.
1: <laughs>
2: no Dude. chicks
1: allowed.
0: This guy's a real brain genius. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about another brain genius, actually. Let's talk about Joe Quesada.
1: <laughs> I'm ready for my daily cup of Joe.
0: I <laughs> I hope you guys are ready for the spice. So... Uh, Joe Cassada was asked a question on Twitter about, uh, well, I'll just read the question. Do you think comic book sales will ever go back to numbers of early 90s? So, uh, that spawned an entire Twitter dialogue in which several individuals chimed in, including um, Fabian Nicieza, uh, Rob Liefeld, Steve Horton. So Steve Horton had this to say. Uh, The sales of the 1980s were double the number of readers because of how newsstands worked, and the extra copies were destroyed. Uh, Some people stepped in to to correct him, uh, and then he followed up by saying, What I meant was the print run didn't correspond to actual readers. Even the sales to newsstands didn't, as front covers were routinely stripped and returned in large numbers. So then Quesada uh, jumped in and explained further and talked about his beliefs regarding how Marvel and how comics should cater to hardcore fans. Here's the interesting thing about comics that I don't think we often realize but that I love. The actual consumer pattern, the act of buying comics if you're a hardcore fan is unlike any purchasing pattern I'm aware of. First let me define a few things. By hardcore fan, I mean a person who loves getting their fix as close as as close to publishing date as possible. Casual hardcores pop in once in a while to see what's new or if the latest trade paperback or original graphic novel has shipped. Casuals are basically that if they've seen a movie, hear of something cool, interesting, or controversial, they look for a little. There are shades in between, and digital may be a little different, but let's talk physical books and let's focus on hardcores. Hardcore fans, to me, run our business. Every Wednesday, new product comes out, and every Wednesday or thereabouts, customers show up to shops looking for that product. Let's think about that. What thing that you buy that is not a necessity like groceries do you go out on the same day of the week every, di- every week to buy? That is a tremendous amount of motivation to get something when people aren't really motivated to leave their house for anything. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing when you think about it, the love that so many people have for the medium. And then there are those who don't live near a store who get their books sent or get them digitally. It's pretty awesome, but those are real readers. And while newsstands hold a warm place in the hearts of those that remember them, or check out the aisle at the local drugstore, it was a dreadful business to be in. That's why newsstands are virtually extinct. The business model sucked for publishers.
4: That's really interesting. Um, that's a different perspective than what you normally hear, because you know you normally only hear about the the actual numbers of books. That were pumped out. We never actually hear about how that correlates to the readership that there was back then. Um, I guess like, like like the question at hand is of like w- whether or not we'll be able to get back to those kind of numbers. Um, to Casada's point, I think the way that the business model changed sort of reflects the readers more so now. So uh, it won't go back to that. Go back to that number because the business model that they're running on now more accurately represents and reflects the actual sales numbers that are attributed to the books that are being published. So, short answer, no. Long answer, whatever I just said.
2: <laughs> I think uh, one of the things I saw brought up in that tweet thread as well was that part of the boom of the 90s had to do with the collector's market. Yeah. You know, which was that there was a big yeah. bubble burst with uh, baseball cards. Around that time and um, as well as another notable string of collectibles, I, I believe. Um, but it, you'll, if you'll remember, if you're a 90s kid, like collectibles were a big thing. Pokemon cards were a big money thing. Beanie Babies were a big money thing. Like oh, yeah. there was a collector mentality in the 90s that spilled over to comic books. And, uh, and a big part of that boom in sales was that the, you know, there was the evolution of the, of the direct market at that point and comic book stores became more prevalent and more popular. Newsstands were still kind of a thing in the early nineties. And then you also had this boom in collectors. So there was a lot of things that kind of created a perfect storm that was more or less an artificial boom. Like yeah, more comics were being bought, but it wasn't because more people were reading comics or because more people were necessarily interested in comics. That's
1: right. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Um, I, I, I mean, I think I think DC's approach the last year or two has been kind of the way to go. The core, the core meat and potatoes of your books is catered to your hardcore fans because they're the ones who are going to buy it monthly. And then they experiment Mm -hmm. with the titles outside of those core titles to try to in new readers and potential new readership bases. I think that's the most pragmatic model you can go with because the movie audience is a flavor of the week kind of thing. You go in, you, you sample it and you move on. It's a, it really is what I said. It's a flavor of the week. Whereas, you know, if you, Genuinely launch a title to attract people who are trying to tip tip their toes into this industry and try to really get involved. Those titles exist too, uh, so I don't think there's I don't think with Joe, I don't think Joe's cup of Joe is too far off.
4: Yeah, and it's reflective in the indie market also. I think um, the way that the landscape is changing with the rise of image. More imprints under everything to to your point, Phil, and then to other publishers that just pop up, um, and I, specifically a black mass kind of thing. So I think the landscape of comics is changing, and I think to ask the question, you have to sort of consider the environment that you're asking it in.
1: You you have to adapt with your readership, your readership base, or you will you won't last.
0: Right. Well, here's a, here's a funny note. <clears throat> I better laugh. <laughs> Joe Quesada works for Marvel. And Marvel is notorious for doing the opposite of what Joe Quesada is talking about. Uh, what do I mean? I mean, over the last, I don't know, five years, uh, they have relaunched these books more times than you can even count. Uh, how many times has Avengers had a new number one, only to jump back into the original numbering? How many times have they done it with Spider-Man, or this one, or that one, you know? Um, those are clear, clearly plots to lure in new readers. What about the, the endless variant covers, or the endless... Um, special covers, you know? Um, lenticulars. Lenticulars, and yeah. Those are plots to Lauren and collect- collectors. That's or or even like the,
2: the narrative choices they made of being like, let's introduce the Black Nick Fury in the 616 universe so that moviegoers will recognize him. Or like, you know, they had that Avengers, uh, not Avengers Assemble, but there was like an Avengers book where they made the Avengers team from the film come together so that you could be that new reader that jumps on.
0: Right. Their choices seem squarely aimed At exactly the same thing that Joe Quesada is arguing against. So either it means that Joe Quesada doesn't have power in that in that uh, arena, or he just he's just you know talking crap because he's not doing what he says he thinks is the right move. He He probably doesn't. No, never. He he probably doesn't have the power to really make the changes. But I I ultimately agree with him one hundred percent. I just wish that Marvel actually did what he's talking about.
1: Yeah. I wish Marvel put out good comic books too. They do.
0: <laughs> I
4: would I would sort of rephrase a little bit and versus say appeal to like the, the, uh, the casual audience. I think more so they're thinking too much in the short term. And those are ploys that only work in the short term for a certain activated audience. Whereas DC and these other publishers are starting to look out ahead at a longer term, they're not looking maybe at the week to weeks, maybe they're looking at the months over months and the years over years. I think like the 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 same concept, I just think that they're approaching it from a different way than a large majority of other publishers are sort of thinking about their sales. Yeah,
1: in my opinion it is the Jedi who are evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: No, I think I think to what Marco was saying though, right? Like I think a lot of the things that we've we've um Applauded DC for doing, right? Are like, they feel a little smaller. They're like a little more direct. And like, I feel like they are things that are like, that feel easier to jump onto. I feel like that's why image books are so popular with more casual readers is because like they are, it's easier to sell you on one comic than five. You know, or like a line of comics of like, are you going to be up to date on what's going on in the Marvel universe right now or the DC universe right now? Or are you going to be more likely to follow like Witchblade? You know, like that's an easier sell.
0: It's also, But it's also content related. Like if you're a comics fan and you like superheroes, it's great. But there are a lot of people who like comics that don't like superheroes and don't want to read about that at all. And yeah. that's what it, an image it provides that Marvel and DC don't. That's not their bag and that's fine. But I I ultimately think that, and, and, you know, we've talked about this so many times, uh, so we won't belabor this longer, but DC and Marvel have similar approaches. DC is much better at marketing their stuff, and the angle at which they approach consumers with their content is much better. That's so strange
1: to hear. Like, four years ago, it was the complete opposite.
0: I know if if you look at like for example grand design X-Men grand design X-Men grand design is an X-Men book made for casual readers X-Men X-Men grand design is the wikipedia is the X-Men Wikipedia in comic book form synthesized so that literally anybody can read it? If you've, if you've read every issue of X-Men, it'll be so cool to see it all put together. If you've never read X-Men, it'll be so cool to see their story told in a linear format across four, four I think it's four comic books that are going to be ultimately rolled out across four comic books that tell their whole story. That is something that is amazing that only Marvel is doing, but they get no credit for. Why? Because they don't talk about it that way. They don't present it the way I just did. They present it in a totally different fashion, and thus, no one knows it's coming out. What's the difference between no justice that we just talked about and uh, what's going on in Avengers right now? No surrender. There is no difference, but people have a bad perspective of Marvel right now, and so the Avengers event that's going on sucks, but the upcoming... DC event, which is the same thing, looks awesome. It's, it's a matter of where Marvel's at right now. People don't trust them, and so everything they do sucks. Phil just said Marvel puts out bad comics. That literally is not true, but that's the <laughs> mentality people have. Yep. No, you're totally right because to, – But to, a
2: lot of people feel that way. Yeah, and, and I think to your point, Phil, it was the, – The narrative was totally different three or four years ago. You know, like it was exactly the opposite of like not everything DC was doing was trash, but that you sure couldn't listen to anyone talk about it without it coming
0: off that right. way. Right.
1: The New 52 had so so much negative publicity.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Exactly. So, uh that's the the, the continued uh musings of Joe Quesada. Uh
5: damn good couple.
0: That's right. <laughs> it's a damn <laughs> fine couple. <of> <laughs> So let let's talk about the, the Ant-Man and Wasp trailer that dropped this week. Yeah. Reacts. Just go for
2: it. Look it looks good. I mean, I really like the first Ant Man movie. You know, like I, I think um partly because of when it came out, like it had come right after I think both Guardians and uh Avengers two. Or or may, I, I know it was after Avengers two. It was that same summer. And um,
3: It was Guardians and Ant-Man came out the same year, the first Guardians.
2: And Avengers 2 didn't come out that year? I'm not saying
3: saying it didn't. I'm just saying it. I I know for sure it came out at the same time as Guardians. Either way.
2: I remember walking out of Ant-Man thinking it was a breath of fresh air. That it was something smaller. It felt more personal. It had a different vibe than the other stuff that had been going on because it was a heist movie. And it had a a really big focus on comedy. And um, it played for me. You know, and, and I I have been looking forward to a sequel. I We haven't seen too much of it yet. This was kind of our first, like, real deep dive, and I think it looks good. You know, like, I don't necessarily think it's going to um, blow me away or anything like that, but, you know, if they can give me a similarly um, fresh movie this time around, then I'll be happy. Ant-Man
1: is a pleasant
2: movie. I uh,
1: it has it has the the scent of an Edgar Wright movie because it was going to be an Edgar Wright movie until Marvel got in the way. So it could have been like an exceptional movie, but it's a good movie. Uh, it's in my top five Marvel films. It's like one of the ones I like more so than most of the forgettable films. Uh, that said. I don't know how a sequel will be. It won't have the Edgar Wright scent, but it will have Paul Rudd. And Paul Rudd is always good. So, you know what? I've said it before. You know what? I'm going to
0: stick to it. could be good. I, I thought this movie looked fantastic. I love the trailer. I love the flavor um, that, it, that it brings. Um, I, I am so excited for The Wasp. I really love The Wasp as a character. Um, and I think that she's underutilized in a lot of in a lot of ways in the comics. Um, and I'm I'm excited that she's going to get her spotlight in this film. I like that it's called Ant Man and the Wasp. I love the graphic that they're using. Um, yeah, the text
2: is really cool. So
0: comic booky. That's what I'm all about. I, I I'm sad that we don't get that more. Um, and I'm glad that Marvel's like loosening the reins and letting us get more comic book type stuff. This trailer was funny. Um. I love when Hank Pym like, shrinks the building and, and just scoops it up. <laughs> I thought that was cool. That was cool. Uh, I love that Ghost is the villain in this. I'm a huge fan of Ghost, the character, uh, which is weird because who's a fan of Ghost? But C-list hero or C-list villain, you know, whatever. Um, a,
3: a lot of people are about to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, I love Evangeline Lilly a lot. And so I'm excited to see her rendition of Wasp here. And this movie just looks fo- like fun. It looks like more of the same and that's not a problem when Ant-Man number one was so enjoyable.
1: I hope she doesn't get eaten by the blob.
2: It's not funny. It's, it's not. <laughs> I just hope it doesn't happen. Uh, I, I will say, though, the, the one thing I think will be interesting with this is, like, is it going to feel more like a traditional superhero movie because it won't be a heist? Because, like, they won't be stealing something like they were last time around? Like, I wonder if it's going to have a more traditional feel Yeah, what they stole was our hearts (laughs) exactly that's true well i like that i like that one we don't really know
0: (laughs) what the the premise behind this movie is yet so right
2: so you know who knows but i'm i am excited for this one i really do think it looks good and i like the idea of getting um we've never had like a duo in a Marvel movie like this, except for like, you know, there was flavors of this kind of thing with like Cap and Black Widow and, and Cap 2 and stuff like that. Like, But having a movie that is like co-headlined by a superhero team is different. And I think it'll be really fun to have that kind of like team dynamic, but in a smaller story that isn't ah, the world is ending or we got to save the galaxy or whatever, like. I, I like that idea, and especially when there's already romantic tension between them. Like, having a, a, a partnership that is two romantic partners is also something new for us. So I think there's a lot to work with here. This will be the first great buddy film of two people
1: by Disney since Lilo and Stitch.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> what? about Thor Ragnarok?
1: That that wasn't Thor and Hulk, though. That wasn't
0: called Thor and Hulk, nah. Oh, I see.
3: It, I also don't really even like. I feel like that was sold as a buddy, a, a, a buddy road trip film. I don't think it was.
0: Fair enough. Any uh, closing reacts to this trailer, Marco? You didn't get to speak on this one. I don't think.
4: Um. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's another superhero movie. Uh, I'm I'm fatigued, guys. It's not it's my just, fault. I'm fatigued it's of you.
2: momentum. You just killed the momentum, <laughs> man. You shouldn't have let him talk. Just move on. <laughs> okay.
0: So, the Black Panther... Black Panther... <laughs> Are you the Black Panther? <laughs> yeah, I am the Black Panther. Uh, no. <laughs> the Black Panther film is just two weeks away. It's crazy to even say that. Um, just because it feels like it's been so far away for so long, and then now it's like coming out, you know? Um yeah. But uh rarely has there been this much buzz surrounding a comic book movie. Um and it, it like it feels like it's a cultural moment and so many entertainers have stepped up uh to ensure that young black people have the opportunity to see the film. And then you've got the other side of the spectrum where There's like a campaign that's been launched to swarm Rotten Tomatoes with bad reviews for the film as an act of revenge against what they perceive to be a bias against DC films. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the importance of Black Panther the movie and how this might even be the most important comic book movie that's ever come out Uh, because it's very much feeling that way to me right now. Um, It's just because of everything that's surrounded. It doesn't even feel like just a movie. Feels like a like a moment, like for us as a as a culture.
2: I mean, it is. I, I think you're totally right in saying that it's a moment um, because I mean, what other blockbuster film has had a all black cast or at least predominantly? I'm you know I don't know if there's any. There might be non black characters we're not aware of that are going to make an appearance. There, but, there are uh, two that I know of. If you can't get out, okay. Sure, but like that's it, and that's not a blockbuster. Like that movie. Became a cultural movement because of its quality. Like, this is a multi-million dollar Hollywood picture where every star is black. Like, that's unprecedented. And even get out, that's not even true because most of the cast is white. The main character is just black. This is, this is a major achievement for, you know, like, I mean, I would, I would say specifically like African-American um, you know, actors and, and creators in Hollywood. But I, I would say for like all minorities, right, of like of having this movie with this much investment from this studio in the most popular film franchise in the world. Granted, it's this far in, but like it, it is a huge statement. And it's I think like its success will uh, will prove a lot of, you know, quote unquote, conventional wisdom about what works and what doesn't work in Hollywood. Totally wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, um, Fandango is saying that Black Panther is has made history already by outpacing all superhero movies in advanced ticket sales. It beat out Batman v Superman, which was the previous holder of that that record. When you think about that, Batman and Superman are the the basically the two most popular characters ever created out of comics, and Black Not Panther, even basically. Black Panther three f- four years ago. You ask any random person who's Black Panther, they don't know. But now this character that people didn't even know about is eclipsing Batman and Superman in pre-sales. This is this is it's it's incredible what's happening, and so I just really want to talk about that. Talk about some of the reactions that there have been because the movie uh, was screened recently, and we've got some early reactions uh, that are that are like extremely positive. And, um, you know, just getting your thoughts and feelings on everything that's happening surrounding this movie. Uh, so, first, I want to start with the reactions that we're getting so far. Um, <clears throat> So on Twitter, obviously, a lot of film reviewers who got to see it have come out and they're talking just, you know, little snippets about what they think about the movie. So this first one is from Jen Yamato at Jen Yamato. Uh, Black Panther is incredible, kinetic, purposeful. A superhero movie about why representation and identity matters and how tragic it is when those things are denied to people. The first MCU movie about something real. Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger had me weeping and he's the villain. So that, that on its face, you know, like you, we, if we didn't even read another tweet, that's, that's a powerful statement, right? Yeah. 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 For, for the villain in an MCU movie not named Loki to be highlighted like that, never happens. Happened with Hella a little bit, but we, we don't hear about them. No. And I think particularly
2: saying that the character had a uh, an emotional arc is something that you definitely don't see. Because I think another example of a a Marvel villain that was really well-received, right, was, like, uh, Michael Keaton in in Spider-Man as the Vulture. But, like, you know, that was for the little tiny snippets of humanity that we really saw. But for her to say that, like, a villain in an MCU movie had her in tears is, like, oh, okay. I certainly wasn't expecting that.
3: Like, yeah, like, Loki's great. But mostly it's because he's hot and in love with his brother. Like...
0: Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, like, and he also has had the most screen time overall <coughs> of the villains. So yeah, you're absolutely right. For for Killmonger to have had his one shot, and I mean, I, and I'm reading these other tweets um, that where people are are saying the same things. Uh, this is by Steve Weintraub from Collider uh, at Collider Frosty at, uh, hashtag Marvel does it again with Black Panther. Black Panther, Jesus. Very impressed with the story and filmmaking. At Michael B. for Jordan. Absolutely kills it as the villain, and is the best one since Loki. Also, at Denai G- Gu- Guerra, I think that's how you say her name? D- Denai Guer- Guerra. Okay. kicks so much ass, and I loved every second of it. Going to make serious money. Another huge bit of praise there. So, <clears throat> um, th- this is cool. It's, it's cool that this movie is getting the praise that it's getting. Um I... I wonder, and this is, a, look, this is the thing that you realistically have to ask, and we'll know when we see the movie. But I wonder how much of this is coming because of the political stuff and the social stuff that surrounds the movie, and how much of it is just because the movie is that damn good. I mean, <clears throat> hopefully it's like Wonder Woman and it's both.
2: Yeah, mm, yep. probably a solid
0: yep. mix of both. And I, I would guess that that's the case. Well, I've, I've been on record- as saying that I thought Wonder Woman was was revered more because of what it what it stood for and the moment surrounding it than the quality of the film. I do think it's a good film. I don't think it was the film that everybody made it out to be. Now I'm I'm in the minority of that opinion. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't want to come out of Black Panther feeling like that again. Sure.
2: Yeah, and I think you're I would say you're overall in the minority on that opinion, but I think even just like of in this group, right, like the four of us did all have that impact with it, and I think it's worth pointing out, right like none of us are women, so like the fact that it did resonate with us in that way and we didn't have the the added baggage of finally getting to see you know um a female superhero and and seeing it done well um that wasn't like important for me in my enjoyment of the film like i'm glad that that's what it was but it resonated with me on an emotional level because it resonated with me on an emotional level you know <laughs> i think um, yeah
3: i think it's also important to note that the um the scene that was important to so many people wasn't the end fight scene like there was no real catharsis there the catharth the real catharsis came in the no man's land sequence for Wonder woman
2: right sure yeah sure yeah, so I, I, I um, acknowledging your concerns and your opinion on Wonder Woman, I, I'm making that analogy because I hope that it, it is the way that we interpret it, right? That like, I hope that it, like, yes, it is this moment, it is this achievement for, uh, for, for the black community uh, or for people of color everywhere, but like, I, I, I believe that it will be because it's good. As well as that thing. Not because of that thing.
0: I hope you're right. Uh, and again, so many reactions from people across the spectrum that say that it's great. That it's not just good. That it's excellent. That it's phenomenal. So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see on that front. Um, I mean, that's kind of come home to roost for us. Like, every
2: time we've looked at these advanced critical reactions, like, generally, we've aligned with, like, as, as a whole, the predominant group of us has aligned with that assessment right like the we got a similar reaction about wonder woman we got a similar thing about thor like you know seeing this much buzz that's this resoundingly positive and saying the same things over and over again is emboldening i think that it, it will probably deliver
0: i hope so um and, and it's not just it's not just in the quality of the actors that they've that they've compiled. And it's not just in the quality of the director uh, and Ryan Coogler. We've also got like the, the music, the soundtrack being produced by Kendrick Lamar, curated by Kendrick Lamar, probably one of the most I mean, easily one of the most popular rappers in the world is producing the soundtrack. And I've I've been critical. I've been very critical in the past of how in the first trailer for Black Panther and the subsequent trailers why does the music have to be rap why like why is it always i felt the same way with luke cage but the difference for me here is that it's a black person who's in charge of curating the whole soundtrack so i don't know if it's just rap but i know that a black person is saying here's what i want this what i want this movie to feel like uh uh, musically that's
2: so cool and it's gonna be fucking different you know like it's not going to be a a Hans Zimmer or whatever like it's not it's not a composer it is going to be like a modern um artist and like that is i think that's really cool too like separate from even the the like racial connotation there like it's going to have a totally different sound than every other Marvel movie and like that's exciting you know, like that was one of the things that really worked about Guardians is that it had its own feel because of the soundtrack. And I think we'll probably see a similar thing here, only it'll be on a more like auteur level, you know, like that it is going to be one creator putting together this soundtrack. And like you said, probably curating some some popular music as well. Like that's really There's cool.
1: been a bigger emphasis place, I would say, the last year or two on sound design in films. Because in general, there's been the sound design, the sound design game has been elevated so much recently and if Black Panther ha- has anything resembling some of the more uh, well the more I don't know um, elite films in that regard and with Kendrick Lamar I don't see how it couldn't uh, that's really an exciting prospect
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I am anxiously awaiting that uh, and that that the album comes out on February 9th. So Dope. we don't have to wait very long to hear what that's gonna sound like. I'm sorry. Um, damn. <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs> but then even more than that, we've also got celebrities and entertainers who have stepped up and are trying to get uh young black people, young kids into theaters for this film. Uh, where they might not have other opportunities to do so. So, for example, uh, Titus O'Neil is a WWE superstar. Hoorah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that—that's his like catchphrase or or calling or whatever. Worldwide. He's, he's gonna be uh, taking or or paying for uh, young kids to be able to go see Black Panther in Tampa. So that's. That's that's cool. That's fantastic. Is he
2: going to be there like to see it with them and stuff too? I'm not. I'm not sure. Probably. That's. I hope I so. Because like, I mean, that would yeah. Be such a cool.
3: If if I did that, I would go so many times. Like,
2: <laughs> five hundred new members. That's just cool. That's that's such brand. a cool thing for him.
0: Yeah, and and it's all a part of um, this hashtag Black Panther challenge which is a, a whole movement across the nation trying to raise money for kids to, to to be able to see this movie. AMC has stepped up, and they're waiving the $500 fee that is usually associated with buying out a, a theater uh, for this wow. kind of thing. Um, Octavia Spencer has stepped up. She's buying out a an entire Mississippi theater so kids can go see Black Panther. The list goes on and on. There are so many people who are doing this now, and it's fantastic. Um it's a big movement in New York. It's it's nationwide.
4: Like here the Boys and Girls Club uh, up in Harlem has a GoFundMe and like there's a Kickstarter for just to get those kids in to see this stuff.
2: That's great. That's it's yeah, very that's, meaningful. Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. You know, it's like it's it's great to hear stories like this, you know, like when uh, we were talking earlier about like the way that things are you know, in this country lately, like how much we need uh, a Superman. Like, you know, it's nice to see people in a position of power using that power to help kids, you know, and then do something altruistic for once.
0: Absolutely. Um, and that's all huge and great, but there is a a negative element. It's not all roses. Uh, they're, they're always bucking is. Yep. So, Couldn't we end on the nice note of
2: people helping out kids, damn it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the end
0: quite yet. Uh, so, a group called, uh, I believe they're called Down With Disney. Uh, <laughs> D-Dub-D. Down With Disney's treatment of franchises and its fanboys, is, is the <laughs> full name of the group, which is a mouthful. Uh, they are launching a movement, or have launched a movement, to tank the Black Panther Rotten Tomatoes audience score. I can't even, like, describe how dumb that is on his face just because what's the value of that, um, but... the Their reasoning is even dumber. We're, yeah, and we're going to get into that right now. They're so
1: upset about Star Wars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> given the, the massive success, as a quote, given the massive success of the audience review rigging... On the Rotten Tomatoes site for Star Wars The Last Jedi, and due to the sudden rise in those disgruntled with Disney business practices, among other factors, especially due to the corporate manipulations which created falsified bad press for the DCEU, I feel that it's time to strike back at all those (laughs) under Disney and bring down the House of Mouse's actions for paying off critics that hurt DC Comics on film, and for other parties affected by them.
2: I literally, I fucking... There, there are a few key phrases that someone can use on the internet that immediately make me just tune them out.
3: Oh, you're not and a fan of someone, House of
2: Mouse, huh? <laughs> not at all. It's like, just fucking grow up and call it Disney, all right? No. Uh, I. As soon as someone tries to like lobby the attack of that that they paid off critics I'm just like get like get the fuck out of here like that didn't fucking happen like maybe the movie just sucks
0: it's goofy it's it's goofy and it's immature nice pun no wait a minute. goofy uh, yeah. Sean sorry goofy did it <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can't believe all three of us said the same fucking thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: Easiest all fucking joke no
5: <laughs> hanging fruit oh, gosh
3: Pluto's finally fed up with being a slave in the basement.
1: Yo, you you guys are also being impressed by SJWs. You can go hang out with uh, the Mortal Enemy fan club. <laughs> uh,
2: Disney and the SJWs are working together to attack DC fans.
3: I would bet the Venn diagram of those people is very small.
2: <laughs> you expect me to watch Two movies with black guys in them in one year. Get out of here.
0: Get out of here. It's it's disgusting. Uh, and and a classic line. I'm I'm in love with this line. Uh this is this is coming from the creator of the movement. <laughs> the movement. Uh so Get the fuck out
1: of here. Hashtag so Zack Snyder two.
0: This is from the from a Polygon article. And it says, the group's biggest complaints with The Last Jedi include adding more female characters and the supposed mistreatment of men. Uh, and then the creator of the group said the following. There was a time we ruled society, and I want to see Whoa. that again. Like, when did that time Whoa. end? Are you fucking
1: kidding <laughs> when me? When did it end? <laughs> Donald Trump was <is> the president.
0: <laughs> there was a time we ruled society. Let me get this straight. The inclusion of women in prominent roles in Star Wars The Last Jedi is the thing that eclipsed the ruling of white men over society? Is that what we're saying right now? This movie. Dude, I'm fucking, tr-
2: I'm triggered by this. I can't, like, what are you fucking, like, you're literally just, I thought this was about fucking DC and now it's all of a sudden you're like, also white power. It's like,
0: what the f- Fuck I think it's white it's men. it's white menpower.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. But like Jesus Christ these,
0: these are
1: these are dickless dudes who yeah, have their thumb up their ass <laughs> and they
2: <laughs> can't escape from a fucking fantasy film and dude, I mean I don't I don't think we should put down eunuchs by associating them with these
5: Please, people. no step. <laughs> Kale, okay, what were you gonna say?
3: I wonder if these people know about the the history of Superman and like his connection with the uh, the white supremacy and like the KKK. Um, no, dude, I don't know if you guys— never I don't. Comic books. Fair.
2: Uh, <laughs> Get your politics out of my comics.
3: Phil Phil probably knows about this, but um, early early in you know the the. Um, creation of superman and like the superman radio serials the uh the writer of the broadcast went and like infiltrated the the kkk oh yeah and I do know this. sent what? sent like uh it was like coded messages uh through uh the radio serials to like uh uh expose them and to like give out their location to like the police and oh. and you know various uh
1: that's right. Early in the Adventures of Superman radio run, the writers infiltrated KKK, found secret code words and locations to broadcast on the show. So Superman, both figuratively and in reality, took down the KKK.
0: That's I would love to. Is there like a documentary about that? Yeah, That's this, cool.
1: This is this is well. This is well documented
0: there. Yeah,
3: there is a it, it is in a book somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure where it is, but I let's get yeah. that
2: book and make it into a documentary. That's
0: incredible. Um, So, and then, and then, on top of all of this, now um, the I guess anti uh, Disney, anti SJW movement has actually adopted Black Panther the film as a uh, and and the world of Black Panther as proof that segregation of the population based on race. Is the way to increase prosperity across the board. I mean, uh,
3: their line of thinking tracks. Like you gotta give them that. <laughs> what?
5: <laughs> what?
3: I'm, uh, wait! Ma- wait. In, hold on. In in making that connection is what I'm saying. Like, they're the 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 you know the anti-SCW white to
5: suprem- in New Zealand kale. Oh boy.
3: <laughs> the and like the the ethno you know, ethno uh, centralism, ethno nationalism or whatever of like uh, a king of a a nation that is ideologically and racially pure, like it makes sense that they would be a fan of it, right? Like,
0: oh, oh, yes, that's what you're saying. I thought you were one of the three emperors for mortal enemy. (laughs) I was like, what the hell is going on?
3: (laughs) Guys, listen. We all know I don't have enough money to be a white supremacy. I don't
0: have $50. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love too, is that like, it, this is without acknowledgement that, that Wakanda is fictional. Like it's not a place. <laughs> no, but it's, that's the thing, man. It's like, no, this is their dream. This is the
2: dream of a racially pure society. Yeah. Uh, we're not racist. We just want all the black people to go back to Wakanda. Exactly. There's
1: a there's a lot of alt writers that definitely like the idea of Black Panther because of this ethno nationalism bullshit. But that's definitely uh, skewing a perception. I'd say
2: that's the thing. We're not we're not racist. We just hate foreigners. Okay, like
4: but it's not an ethno like mentality necessarily because because it's dumb. It's like
1: <laughs> there's, you know, there's a sound by the like episode. From,
3: from the mouths of babes. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: like, what?
2: You know, sometimes, like, when, when Margo just comes in with a sentence like that, it sounds like one of our, like, eight-year-old brothers is like, just on the, It's like, what? It's, no, they're it's, dumb. That's dumb. You're with us.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, Rotten Tomatoes has made a statement uh, to the rap regarding this, and um... I mean, what they plan to do about it. <clears throat> we at Rotten Tomatoes are proud to have become a platform for passionate fans to debate and discuss entertainment, and we take their responsibility seriously. While we respect our fans' diverse opinions, we do not condone hate speech. Our team of security, network, and social experts continue to closely monitor our platforms, and any users who engage in such activities will be blocked from our site and their comments removed as quickly as possible.
2: Oh my god, Censorship. <laughs> that's censorship <laughs> uh, that's what they're gonna say right that's gonna be their thing you're censoring damn, me you I'm you you using thought, my please. free speech by manipulating this platform that's owned by a private company cause I don't understand how free speech works damn Pete mic drop sorry
3: I'm barely <laughs> like that's not a that's, backdrop
5: it, yeah. We, yeah,
3: no, yeah, I'm just not
5: it, stupid it weirdly, like,
3: weirdly, like weirdly enough none of that is a landmark statement like <laughs>
5: it's, it's 18,
0: it feels like it is yeah, at the very least, it shouldn't be a landmark statement, right? Um, but I think the yeah, key... is
2: fucking information literacy. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ.
0: The real key in all of this is the fact that that movement is not going to stop what's happening here. That's a movement that has 3,700 people in a Facebook group. That is not... That, that What can you do with that amount of people online angry? Nothing. That's not going to eclipse... What's being done to facilitate young minorities seeing this movie. It's not going to eclipse what this movie is going to do for the careers of the actors involved in this movie. And the director and the producers and everybody else involved with the movie. It's not going to eclipse what it's going to do for young minorities to be able to feel like they are empowered to do uh, big things with their lives. Um, none of that can be stopped by a silly movement like this. And it's unfortunate that... That that something this cool is being co-opted by what amounts to angry fanboys. That's what it all comes down to.
4: Yeah. It's 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 the it's positive unity versus negative unity. And it's it's dumb.
0: Yo, Marco. (laughs) And it's
5: (laughs) Marco. This
0: is the best takes. Oh my God! What you bring to the show is just necessary. It's fru- its it's frustrating. <laughs>
4: it's just frustrating. It's like what?
0: So I'm done. So do you guys think? And be real here. Be real. Do you think that this movie is the most important superhero movie ever?
1: Well, Green Lantern.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man stop everything right now of
3: man. all oh, of all fucking things i really i really thought he'd pull some some christopher reeve superman bullshit he had to go to green Lantern.
0: i thought that was gonna be your answer and i was gonna say okay that's fair if you would have yeah. said yeah <laughs>
2: um important um, I, well, I don't I, know i'd like to ask a qualifier yeah like what do you mean by important like in terms of, like, that can have the most cultural impact, that's, like, the most uh, causing the most net positive in the world because of, like, the
0: art, like... I I don't think that a qualifier is required. I think that, mm-hmm. I like, I mm-hmm. want you to actively look at it and see the totality of everything, the build-up, everything that's involved. Do you think it's the most important superhero movie ever?
1: You know, you mentioned how we need Superman in 2018, and that wasn't too dissimilar in uh, 1978, because it was out of Watergate, uh, seeming forever war with the Soviet Union, and everything with Afghanistan, and Iran and stuff, uh, the gas shortage, like, that was a world in 1978 that needed Superman. I would say this is probably the first time since 1978 that this is, like, making such a massive cultural breach.
4: I sort of liken it to the release of like Coco um, in, in, in terms of its importance is in its necessity in it's insofar as its necessity and it is a movie that is necessary you know like it, it, it goes just beyond it being a film it goes to it's going to affect those little kids, you know, and th- that's hugely important. It's going to affect those kids and they're going to be the generation that saw uh, a black superhero. Like, that's that's crazy. I You know, back in the day, you used to try to go see, like, um, when I was younger, we used to try to see, my family would try to promote or go see as much as they can movies that were strictly in Spanish because... Who else is gonna? Who else is gonna do that if not you? And so we need to be the people to advance this sort of cause and like put whatever those other people this are culture. doing to the wayside. Because yeah, n- not 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 this culture, but specifically the those people who inject their own negative and hurtful policies and ideas into the culture and be the be the bigger man in addressing that, and and knowing that this is important insofar as that it is needed. It's 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 necessary, and because of that necessity, it's the most important film to date. Like, because in the future we're gonna have as as culture changes, as things develop, you know, either we'll see a Hispanic superhero we'll see a Muslim superhero you know from here the implication is just more for me and I think that's why it's to your point Sean it's important
3: yeah I I agree with that 100% Marco I um, you know I I, I guess I, I don't really feel like I have much to add here um, except that you know similar to Wonder Woman you know um, women and black people you know like the black community now have something that fully uh, you know represents them in the same way that captain america or green lantern or superman or batman or you know the millions of other white characters represent us and you know he's not a you know black panther isn't a sidekick wonder woman isn't a sidekick she's not a love interest black panther is his own man he's his own superhero and this is his movie
2: um, he's a fucking king and he's the
3: king uh of a you know a, a nation in Af- in africa that is you know for all intents and purposes better than what the white people have created like this is huge um and i i think the the message will go out to to you know uh black people and people of color and minorities that you know they they can create something and they can be part of something that is bigger than them and they can make a difference and that's that's huge
2: to kiel's point i don't really think that they're i think when you when you contextualize like superhero movies and like the broader culture right of like superhero movies that have been important you know quote unquote important i really think there's probably only like three that exist right now and this will be the fourth and i would say wonder woman's one of them i think the original superman movie is one of them and i think the first spider-man movie is one of them because i think that movie was um it came right after nine eleven. you know and i, I think it was a, a very like cathartic experience for america to to root for um you know a, a blue collar hero like spider-man
5: can i interject here for a second my name is Bigot Brad, and I'm really angry about all of this nonsense. <laughs> Do you remember during Wonder Woman when there was an all-woman screening of of, of that movie? What's next? An all-African-American screening of Black Panther? My fellow white brothers are being oppressed.
0: <laughs> Gross.
2: <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, – yeah, I, I think this movie is is important in a way that other superhero movies just, like, haven't been, you know, and, like, in a lot of ways can't be, you know, because this is going to be a unique moment um, for, uh, you know, like we said, for, for the African American community in general. But I think, like, it is most important for those kids, you know, because it, to them, like – it's not only the, the thing of like, cause a lot of them will probably not even be aware of the fact, right? That this movie was directed by, you know, a, a black director or, or composed by Kendrick Lamar. They're going to see a black superhero. And that is important. That has power. That has real weight, you know, to be able to, um, you know, see yourself in that light in a way that has never really been an option for you before, you know? And, uh, I think that's, that's monumental, you know, and I, I don't think that that's importance can be understated, you know. And um, to me, like, whenever I think about representation, it's always children that come to mind for me first, you know, of like how important it is for uh, a kid in any situation um, to be able to uh, find themselves or or find um, security through fiction. You know, and, and through heroes, and I think um, having having Black Panther be up on that that same pedestal as as somebody like Superman is uh, is hugely important, and the fact that it's like finally happening is, um, you know, yeah, it, it is it is a cultural moment, I think, and I, and I hope it's one that we look back on as uh, part of a, a, a broader turning point, you know um along with, with films like Wonder Woman and uh you know and, and non superhero films, right, that are that are breaking down borders and trailblazing. You know, I, I hope that this is one of many.
0: I completely agree and share the sentiments that all you guys have expressed. I <clears throat> I think that one of the things that that gets misunderstood a lot is what is meant by representation and why it matters so much for minorities uh and i can understand why it would be harder to understand if you're not a minority but it's pretty you know it's pretty clear cut in the respect that when you look around in your world and the people everybody around you uh they're not successful they're not you know They they haven't had opportunities to be successful, or the people in your neighborhood are crappy people because of whatever their reasoning is, and you're a kid just trying to make it, and you don't have that model for what success looks like. You don't have that model for, hey, I could be a lawyer because my dad is a lawyer, or my friend's dad is a lawyer. When those things don't surround you, it's hard to see yourself. In the world, you know, it's hard to identify with what it means to be a director of film when all the directors of film that you know about, when you get interested in film, are white people, um, and that's what that means. It means that person is the is the flag bearer. It means that person is showing you the way. That's what it means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, when no one's showing you the way, it's like being in a cave. With no light. It's like being in a cave. Without being able to see the direction that you're going. And if you make it out of that cave. Congratulations. But 99% of the people who look like you. That are wandering that cave with no light. Aren't going to make it. And so. Ryan Coogler as a director. Is that flag bearer. He is that guy shining the light. Uh, Black Panther as a character. Is that character. That's shining that light. Barack Obama's a president is the guy shining that light. And we need more things like that. And that's why this movie is so important. And that's why I think it's the most important superhero movie of all time uh, because of what it what it does, what it says, and what it's going to allow in the future. Now, of course, the future we can't see that, but I think that now there's going to be a lot less trepidation about opening the floodgates for Black Panther 2, for Uh, You know, all the things that could come from something like this that we thought were impossible. I never thought that a Black Panther movie would have this much impact. Um, But kudos to Marvel for believing in it. Kudos to all of the actors who have come together for this. And kudos to everybody who's, who's supporting this movie. And not just the minorities, but everybody who's supporting this movie. Because it matters to support things that you want to see in the world. So, I'm excited. Obviously, all the rest of the pals are excited. We're two weeks out from the film. We're going to be reviewing it. We've got the book club coming up, all about Black Panther. And this is this is the time. This is the time. This is a moment, and I'm living in it. I'm embracing it. I'm excited for it. And I hope everybody comes along for the journey. Fuck bigot, Brad. <laughs> you couldn't just let Sean have his moment. I'm so bucks. so uh if you want to talk to us and join in on the conversation regarding this uh black panther or any other thing that we're that we talked about in this or any other episode uh there are plenty of ways you can do that you can reach out to us on itunes where you can also leave us a rating. We're a five-star rated podcast, so let's keep that trend going. Uh, we are on all other podcast hosting services. You guys are great to us on SoundCloud, so keep that up as well. Uh we are at the comics pals wherever your social media is sold, and we will receive your uh takes on anything there. Uh you can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. We appreciate getting those emails. Um And you can keep sending those. You can write in with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, or any of the other cool things that we do here on this show. Um, And, of course, we are on YouTube where we're going to have some really cool stuff uh, coming up real, real soon for you guys. Um, You can check out the most recent wrestling special that Phil and I did. Uh, We reviewed NXT TakeOver Philadelphia and the Royal Rumble that is available on podcast hosting platforms, but also on YouTube. So check that stuff out. and as I mentioned earlier, we've got that book club coming up real soon. Uh, that's going to drop on the 9th, I believe we said, Marco? Yeah,
4: Friday. Yep. The 7th? The 7th? Oh, no. hold on.
0: The no, 9th. Oh, oh, no. oh, no. It's the 9th. It's the 9th. It's, 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 it's on Friday. On. It's going to drop on the 9th, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, definitely drop us that like. Hit the subscribe button for more cool content. And uh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, just swing over there real quick hit that subscribe button. Helps us out a lot. Uh, So let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so
2: much for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals. If you want to check out some more content from me, you can catch me on pretty much all of our other shows. Uh, We've got the video game pals with me and Sean, uh, which posts every day after the comics pals. So uh, if you're getting this on podcast platforms, it'll be up on Tuesday. Um, you can also catch me, Sean, and Marco – or not Sean, excuse me, me, Kale, and Marco uh, on the Riverdale Review on Wednesdays where we get together and talk about uh, the show of our time, Riverdale. And uh, oh, roll your eyes all you want, baby. It's, it's Listen, the tr- gospel truth.
3: The bar is low, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man. Um and then, uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm all over the place. Check out our other content. I'm I'm all over it. It's good stuff. We'd really appreciate you uh, checking it out if you like this show and you're interested in you know video games or Riverdale or whatever else we're doing. Uh, you can also get me on social media at loud underscore Pete on both Twitter and Instagram if you want to talk to me about any of the stuff we talked to, to talked about on this or any other episode or check out some cute pictures on my cat. And then uh, you can get my writing over at CBR.com. I've got a new joint out this week about Carnage and some of the powers that uh, he has that Venom doesn't that you might not have known about. Um, so that's that's a real fun one. I had a, a blast getting to read some old Spider-Man issues, doing research for that. So uh, please go check that out. Help me pay the rent. And I've got two more coming up in the next week about the Hulk. So keep your eyes peeled for that.
0: Cool. Kale?
3: <clears throat> uh. I just want to point out on Riverdale this week, we also have, uh, Gabby from the Nerd League. Yes. Uh, she is, uh, one of our favorite guests. Um, so we're very pumped to keep that collaboration going.
2: Yeah, she's the best.
3: Uh, I will also take the time to plug, uh, Letty Wilson's, uh, work in the, uh, the secret, the secret loves of geeks. Uh, anthology by uh, Hope Nicholson that comes out on February 14th. Uh, it's an oh, anthology uh, uh, from Dark Horse. Um, very excited about that. It's going to be dope. Please go pick it up. Letty is, she's the person that did our um, logo um, and the heads for the rest of the shows as well. Um, we're all big fans, so please go support her. She's amazing. She's an amazing person, an amazing friend. Um, so, Uh, do that uh also uh two other members of the panel's crew have uh started a podcast called ear meat uh it's it's a um,
2: (laughs) that's a great name
3: (laughs) it's a a movie review podcast uh their first episode is about uh the first austin powers movie um uh nathan and faye are uh they're uh a couple that are just they're so freaking funny if you like like the the innocence of Marco with just like the twinge of like s- dry sarcasm. You'll love Faye. Faye is just incredible. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Awesome. <clears throat> Marco.
4: Um, you can follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, as previously mentioned, I'm also on Riverdale. I missed this week, but uh, I'll be back. Next week. Um, and I did want to introduce uh, Brad. Uh, Brad, can you tell us where, where you can find us again?
5: <laughs>
4: oh, no, don't use the voice. You don't have to hide the fact, Phil. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Brad. Sorry, Brad. Sorry, no, no, please. Go ahead.
5: Well, if you look in any sewer, you'll find me there because I I'm, can't hear you. I muted myself. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You can find me in any <laughs> sewer, brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hulk Hogan? Yeah. is that you
5: find me on infowars.com you'll see how. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> he has a
4: col- he has a column on Breitbart I want you
5: to observe my column on www.breitbart.com <laughs> my latest piece is on Hillary Clinton's a dirty hairy little shrew
0: okay I don't even know what you just said but why don't you go ahead with your plugs
5: I already gave my plugs no <laughs> i guess i can jump in here um (laughs)
1: yeah i'm sorry i keep inviting these real terrible people on the show
0: i'm about to stop inviting you on the show now hurry your ass up
1: uh you can find me (laughs) on social media at cyborg bebop
0: all right and i am at sean soapbox on twitter only where you can talk to me about black panther um or anything else that we talked about on this episode except for joining mortal enemy that
2: sucks.
3: <laughs> I mean, you can talk to us about it. We're not gonna
0: do it, but if you talk to me about it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shit
2: we're on gonna you. I'm gonna fucking roast so, you. <laughs>
0: uh, and with that, we're the comments pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.